Gratitude That's my everyday What's up everyone? Welcome to another episode of Quantum Coffee. Today's guest is Brandt Pinvidic. He uh, is a really amazing dude. His energy is incredible and he adds so much value in this conversation. Uh, it's really cool. Um, just full circle. He actually had a podcast, reached out to me when I was on the road a couple years ago, asked me to be on his podcast. And he, he is actually calling in from his big rig uh, trailer camper. And he's out with his family right now traveling the country, uh, all 48 states in six months. And so it's really cool to kind of full circle, drop in with him. And he's just a super uh, high achieving, successful man who's accomplished a lot in his life and he's really passionate about finding balance in life and really helping other successful people uh, find that joy that is really missing I think in a lot of people's lives and he shares his experience about being on the road and what it's taught him and uh, being a LA TV producer and his company Reject Average where he uh, puts together these incredible incredible experiences I actually went shark diving with him uh, last year and uh he adds a lot of value and I would definitely um, take some notes and really hear uh, what he's, what he has to say, because it's really powerful, uh, really grateful for this man and the connection that we've had and really excited that he uh, called in from the road to share his knowledge and wisdom and experience with all of us. Uh, I hope you enjoy this episode. And before we dive in, I just want to share how excited I am uh, about the future of the Heart Collective and um, what I'm building with the retreats and uh, everything that goes along with it, really trying to cultivate and become the leading resource uh, for deeper healing and growth for former elite level athletes, um, providing a lot of resources, education, and information uh, along with different tips. Um, and we have this amazing newsletter out. Uh, and if you don't follow it already, go to theheartcollective.com, uh, fill out the form, and you're going to get access to this bi-weekly exclusive newsletter that is just going to be filled with so much value. Uh, even if you're not an athlete, I think you're going to get something out of it. Um, but it's definitely uh, cultivated and curated for elite level athletes to help on their healing journey post-career. We're not in this alone um, and really facilitating community and support for anybody that's on this path. Um, that's what the resource is all about. So go check that out. Um, and I would love to hear from you. What do you think of this podcast? Also, if you really want to support this podcast, a really easy way to do that is to leave a five-star review, say a few nice words. And if there's any part of this conversation that resonates with you and you think it might have a positive impact on somebody you know, please share the conversation with them. Really trying to reach a wider audience and grow this thing. And for those of you that have been following and listening since the beginning, I love you all so much. Thank you so much for the support. Um, yeah, I hope you're enjoying the podcast and um, I hope it resonates with you. I know this one will because I had a lot of fun having this conversation with Brant. I know you will too. Enjoy. Brant, what is up, brother? Yo, man. How are you? Big Joe, my man right there. <laughs> oh, so good. Dude, you're the awesomest. Yeah, I really appreciate you coming on, man. Calling in from the road in the in the big rig. We're going to have to get a picture of that to put in the show notes for people to see. You damn the, right. You damn right. The setup, man. Uh, so stoked to talk to you. Uh, you're, you've been, been on this road trip. Let's talk about the road trip a little bit and then we'll back up uh, and talk a little bit more about the life journey and, and what led you to go on this epic road trip yeah. with the family. So I decided to do a road trip across America, all 48 states, and we do going to take six months to go do it. Now, six months leaving my home in Los Angeles and living in an RV and traveling the country seems like a very long time, and it is, but six months to get across this entire country and hit all 48 states is actually a little tighter than it sounds. And so we've been sort of basically moving every three days, and we go visit a different state, different city drive three, four hours every, every run. And we meet people in every state and we go do fun adventures in every state and we go experience the culture and the city and where we are in every state. And so we've been doing that for the last like five, almost five months now. I've only got le less than five or five weeks left. Five. And then we're back. I'm on How many state states number have you 36. Done? We just crossed into 37. 
They're nice. crossing into state number 37 right now into so Wisconsin. What, Wisconsin. Nice. What, so what route have you taken and it, 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 how long did it take you to plan this? Cause I know I, when I hit the road, it was like, how do I navigate these roads into all the States and where do I want to go? And it's actually not, there's no easy one way route to do this. No. Well, and sort of the blessing and the curse is that with my background as a TV producer, I'm very like adept and comfortable in the like produce the results that you need whatever that means, which means I didn't really do a ton of planning ahead of time. For me, it was just sort of like, I looked at the big map and I sort of just plotted a, a journey that would be you know, reasonable. Right. And I just started looking at literally Google maps on drive time. And I was like, listen, I'm not going to be driving more than, you know, three and a half, maybe four hours at the most. So how do we get across? And then it just was like, I layered that over the things that I knew I wanted to go do. Uh, you know, like the Gulf Coast to Texas. I've never been there. I wanted to go do that. And like, so most of it was like convenience tracking and then layered with a little bit of like, I want to go here. We're definitely going to hit Nashville. Like there's a few places where we had to go. Key Largo, I knew we were going to go to that. So that's sort of where that came from. Nice. You went all the way down to the Keys, huh? Yeah, we went right down to Key Largo. And it was kind of cool because I did, along the way, I've done a couple of my sort of executive retreats that I just had people meet us along the way as we go. So mm. it's been pretty fun. Yeah, I love it. How, how have you planned it with the big rig that you have? Because that's one thing that people don't realize is you try to go and not plan too much and be open to the flow. But then when you have a big rig, you can't really park in certain places. So you have to have the RV parks. Like what are the places you're staying to yeah. park your thing? So for us, we do big RV parks. So I'm looking for like the highest end, the biggest, like the, the right down the middle RV park. I'm not looking to park at, you know, in the woods somewhere off the grid. It's just, we're just too big. The trailer's 45 feet, the truck's 24 feet. Like it's a massive machine. And so, plus like, I don't want to boondock it where you're just like running the generator. Like, you know, we have 50 amps and everything plugs in and three air conditioners. And like, uh, you know, like I'm I'm a comfort camper. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a comfort camper. So this, this, this fifth wheel is massive. Um, and so that helps a lot. And, and so that's what we're looking for. Now, the good thing about that is, you know, with so many RVs on the road, everybody's trying to look for the cheap camping, they're getting the state parks. So for us, we've been, we've been pretty lucky. We've been able to find places without much issue. Yeah. Nice. This is really cool. Cause when we first met, it was actually when I was out on the road, living my whole yeah. transition dream traveling. And you actually reached out to me cause you had a podcast and I was on your podcast and we connected and yeah. they'd connected. And then you invited me to one of your, um, you know, executive retreats, which is through the company reject average. We'll, we'll talk more about that. Uh, we went shark diving down in San Diego through down to Mexico, the Guadalupe Islands, which was an amazing experience. And it's cool to come full circle yeah. now, me interviewing on my podcast and you're traveling. I know. I feel like that trip to the sharks was a bit of a life changer for you. A little bit of a, of a fork in the road kind of thing. Oh yeah. I've had a lot of those experiences. And that's cool. <laughs> yeah. And that's pretty cool. Like I like that moment where it's like, and now watching what you're doing, and reaching out and building this community. It's like, I, I, it's pretty cool that that started just from like a random message on Instagram being like, yo dude, we should chat. Yeah. Like, it's beautiful. Cool. Like the, the ability that we have nowadays to connect with other like-minded people are doing big things and then stay connected. And you know, what started off is just yeah. you getting on your, that's why I love having a podcast too. Cause you're able to have these really cool conversations with really cool people. And then you end up yeah. staying connected and create relationships yeah. with them. Yeah. Yeah. It's been pretty epic. Yeah. So let's, let's dive back into, you said you used to be a TV producer. Uh, I know you've had a, a, an amazing experience with that. Very, a lot of success in what you're doing. Uh, talk yeah. a little bit about that and maybe some of the cool stories of what it was like being a TV producer and, and you know, what maybe the audience would, would like to hear. So, you know, I moved down from Canada. I was born and raised in Canada. I moved down to the United States about 20 years ago. I had created a television show in Canada that I couldn't sell, that no one wanted, um, that just, basically made me like a, look like a fool for spending my money to go do. And I, I came down to the United States and I, sh- uh, it was about basically, it was, it was called the ultimate party quest. And it was like finding the most fun and exciting people in Canada and various cities and, and city against city kind of stuff. That's awesome. That's and so you. <laughs> it was, yeah, I know. Um, and so it was like, I always, I was like, it was like survivor in a nightclub kind of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, it was really cool, but couldn't sell it in Canada. 
And then I was able to take it into the United States. And I, a couple of meetings later, sold it to NBC as a, as a pilot, got a job as a development executive at a TV company. I never worked in TV a day in my life, right? But reality TV had just sort of like just got launched and no one really knew that. So to them, I was just one of the main guys. I was one of the people they, they saw, they knew, whatever. And I remember well, the funny story is, with about six months after moving to the United States, I had sold a pilot to CMT called uh, Muscle Car Makeover, where Montgomery Gentry, the um, country duo, would buy an old muscle car and rehab it for somebody. It was really cool. And we were screening the pilot in Las Vegas uh, at a focus group. And that's where, you know, you're behind the two-way glass and you have to, uh, you watch random people from across the country, watch your pilot and tell you all the things that they didn't like or did like. And we're sitting there waiting for it to start. And the guy who's running the focus group comes out. It's myself and the president of the network is sitting there. And the person that runs the place turns to Paul and says, so do you guys want to do the, uh, the slide or the dial for the interaction? And Paul turns to me and he goes, I don't know, Brent, you've done this more than I have. What do you want to do? And I was like, uh, yeah, I like the slide, but it doesn't really matter. What do you say? And so that was kind of at the beginning of my career, right? Nobody knew that I knew nothing about television. So I learned on the fly. I just happened to be very good at, at sort of the sales and the pitch and the presentation side of things. And the creative was sort of right up my alley. And so I was able to build this reputation of having some of the best pitches in Hollywood. And that just grew very quickly. And so you know, we did really well. Everything from Bar Rescue, the country, the company I ran did The Biggest Loser and, you know, like a hundred and some odd different series over the course of my career. But mostly what that was about was I had learned and developed this pitch technique of being able to summarize an entire idea for a television show that I might be looking for $15 million to produce in three minutes or less. And that skill you know, did very well. I was able to sell a lot of shows and, and do well on that side of the business. And that's sort of when I transitioned into teaching and training and my seminars and the book three minute rule came from that. Yeah. The book three minute rule is actually a really good book and really a lot of powerful lessons. Um, and that will all be in the show notes if you guys want to check it out, but what are, what's the framework of you yeah. know, the three minute rule and what you teach and you get paid all this money to consult on people and really trying to fine tune. Cause especially in this day and age when everything, there's so much information, there's so much distraction. It's really hard. Even me and developing this community and, and, and business, it's like, how do I get people's attention and keep it in such a short amount of time yeah. when everybody's attention span is so small. So you want to talk a little it's, bit about the framework that you've developed? Yeah. So, you know, I learned a lot of lessons pitching television shows in Hollywood, right? And there was a really great moment. Um, I was at the lobby at CBS, getting ready to go into the pitch meeting to go pitch the president of CBS. And out of the meeting walked Simon Cowell, right? So he was in the meeting before me. So we say, hi, little hug. Hey, how's it going? Oh, <laughs> and I noticed as we're jibber jabbering, he looks over my shoulder. And behind me had just walked in Mark Burnett. And so I realized like, oh my God, like I'm pitching a show after Simon Cowell and before Mark Burnett, I am wedged in the middle of these two Titans, right? And at that point in my career, by the way, I'm not much further from them than I was back then, right? Like they're still monsters. And so it was oh, super, super like intimidating. And I remember as I was getting ready to go in the meeting and I was like, what am I going to say? Like, how do I impress the, the president of the network after this and knowing Mark Burnett's coming next, like, Oh my God. And, and I got this almost panicky attack and I realized like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to get the show. I'm just going to pitch them the show and get the hell out of here. Like they don't want to hear about my weekend. They don't want to hear about funny stories. I, they're not going to listen to me sell them on why this idea is so great. I just need to get them the basics of what this show is and get the hell out of here. And so the entire meeting lasted nine minutes from the time we opened the door, sat down, said hi, intros, blah, blah, blah. Like, so the time I was getting ready to go to the parking lot, nine minutes, which was just like, that was unheard of. And we sold the show to CBS and people were, and, and my agent was like, that was amazing. You got to do that more often. And I was like, uh, like, what are you talking about? I just basically told them what the basics of the show was and I didn't put anything else. And that became the framework of the way I would pitch to major networks, a very sophisticated audience that had a very short attention span and incredible knowledge about what I was pitching, you have to understand like the head of NBC was a producer with the BBC 
And so he'd produced more television than I was. So what the hell am I going to tell him about producing this show that he doesn't already know or know better than me? Mm. So really, I just stuck to the absolute core. So the three-minute rule basically says everything about your business, product, or service must be conveyed clearly, concisely, and accurately in three minutes or less. And in those first three minutes, you must capture your audience's attention. You must convey information and you must display value. Those are the three things you have to do. And if you don't do that in the first three minutes, your odds of doing that after that absolutely plummet because people instinctively make decisions about the yes or no, whether they're interested or not in those first three minutes. And I say three minutes, that's if you do everything perfectly, you might get three minutes before your, your audience is saying yes or no. I mean, ask yourself, Joe, have you had somebody pitch you something and you know in the first 30 seconds whether you're going to say yes or no? Mm-hmm. Or the first 10 seconds, right? Mm-hmm. That's because as we as human beings make decisions, we have three very clear process. Like we do it in a very clear process. First thing we do is we understand the concept. We conceptualize Then we contextualize, meaning I have to understand how it means for me. I need the context. Then we actualize, as in, am I interested? What does it cost? When is it available? Should I hear more? Right? Those are the three steps we use. Now, we use those three steps for every single decision. What you decided to wear today from your closet or whether you're going to kill your wife tonight. Those are, doesn't matter what it is. Are we going to war with another country or whatever that decision? Should I quit my job? Three processes. I have to understand it. I have to understand what it means to me, and then I have to realize how it's going to happen. So, and we do that naturally for every decision. And if you do it right, if you lead people with information very carefully and very specifically, you can get them to delay that final yes or no, where they get that piece in their head for about three minutes. There's some science behind that. And that's what I teach is how can you make your audience listen to you? for three minutes so you can put the right information in front of them so that when they finally get to actualization, when they're deciding if they want to move forward, when they're deciding if they want to hear more, when they decide if they're going to listen to the rest of your presentation or pitch it to their boss, that they have the most valuable information in front of them. Mm. And so that's what I developed with the three minute rule. And I turned that into the book, obviously. And I've been training companies and CEOs and fancy pants sales guys for the last, you know, five, six years now, seven years now, um, and obviously it's gone pretty well. So pretty happy yeah. with that. Yeah. You're really good at like clear, be really clear, concise and authentic with your messaging. Right. And you can really intuitively yeah. understand if it's a lot of fluff and people don't have the time to just listen there and have you try and like woo them. But if you can really come with that message and it's a really powerful book. So yeah. if you guys want to check it out, there'll be in the show notes, uh, a link to it. Uh, definitely a good read for anybody that is in any really type of sales position, business, trying to create and really trying to you know, build community around what you're building. Um, where did reject yeah. average come in? Where did the, the, how long have you been doing <laughs> that? And where did the, the vision and intention behind uh, building these experiences that, you know, I've actually experienced, they're, they're so incredible. And you can talk about other experiences that you've created. And I'm really excited about collaborating in the future with you as well. Yeah, buddy. So, you know, like TV production and being a TV, like, you know, producer and executive is all cool. It's lucrative. It has lots of advantages, but it really is a job. Like it's like being an NFL player. Like mm-hmm. everybody fantasizes about being an NFL player, but you're like, yeah, it's really hard. Like, yeah, the money's good, but it's really hard to do, right? And so that's you know, 20 years in the TV business is a, is a lot. Of, it's a lot of work, and it's funny. I remember. I don't know if I told you this story specifically, but I did a you know the the 49ers organization and I are very close, and the president and I became friends, and we were pitching a show together. Um, about stadium chefs and the chefs at the various stadiums and competing with each other. And the 49ers was, was our partner. So they flew down to LA and we were doing meetings. And when you have a big, you know, high profile uh, partner, what we like to do is stagger all the meetings on the same day. So you come pitch all five major networks on the same day and you get to fly out, right? Very important. Uh, you get the president of the network in the room. Everybody's happy, right? Okay. So, guys fly in and pick them up in the fancy big you know suburban limo thing and and i remember as we were pitching the show and talking and and frog and maury up front and my partner todd and i were in the back and i could hear them chatting and and i was saying to todd like could you imagine working for the nfl like every week it's a new team a new game to, to take on the challenge and you go through your season and it's like this was your life working for the this would be the greatest thing ever right we're just giddy we go pitch a few, 
shows, we go have lunch, we're rolling around. And between pitches, I could hear Paragamori up front talking. And they were saying, oh my God, could you imagine if this was your life running around at a different TV network, pitching <laughs> ideas, having lunch every day? Like, and it was just like, it was so, I mean, it was kind of funny. It was ironic, but it was actually a little disheartening, right? Like where you're like, oh my God, are you telling me there's no green grass anywhere? Like mm-hmm. what the hell, right? Mm. And it really sunk home that like, whatever you do for a living, that's, that's like, it's a job, it's a grind. It's, you know? So I remember very specifically, I was on the highway coming up to 405 in horrible traffic. And there was a guy pulled up to me with a jet, like a trailer with jet skis on it. And I was looking over and I was realizing, when was the last time I went jet skiing? Like I live near the ocean. I haven't been on jet skis in probably eight years, right? I mean, who doesn't like jet skiing? Everybody likes jet skiing. Jet skiing's fun. No, I haven't been best. on in eight years. <laughs> and I was like a little angry and frustrated. I was like, when will I ever go jet skiing? What am I going to do? Go, re- go rent a jet ski and go jet ski by myself? Like, is that what people do? No. Like, what am I going to do? Go on a, on a vacation? And at the time, I think my kids were like nine years old or whatever it was. You know, they were young. So like, who am I going to go jet skiing with when I go on vacation? Like, it, I was so flustered by that, right? And I couldn't get it out of my mind. And I, I got so frustrated. I said, that's it. I'm going jet ski. So I found online, found a jet ski place and I rented five jet skis. And I was like, I'm just going to find people that are going to come jet skiing. Cause I'm not going to go jet skiing on my, by myself. Right. So sure enough, I rented five jet skis and I sent emails out to probably, I don't know, a hundred people saying, Hey, I rent jet skis this Sunday noon, meet me down long beach. We'll go for four or five hours. We'll have lunch in Newport, whatever it was. Right. And I had like 30 some odd people email back being like, I'd love to, when, where do we meet? And I was like, you guys want to go jet skiing? Like, where were you? Like, you know what I mean? Before. So the five of us went, it was amazing, fun. Everybody was so appreciative that I had rented these. I was like, uh, you know, it's not like I paid for everybody's jet ski. I just made the arrangement. Everybody was so like, Oh man, thank you so much. Like way to go. I was like, okay. And the president of CBS emailed me and he said, Oh man, I wish I could have been available this weekend to go jet ski. I love that idea. Let me know when you're going again. Now, as a TV producer, like I got, I, I want to spend time with the president of CBS as much as possible, right? Like I'm begging the guy to have lunch with me. And so I emailed him back, uh, Hey, I'm actually going out next weekend. We had so much fun. And he's like, great, I'm in. And so I sent out an email out. I got five more people and we went out again. And I was like, Oh my God, this was so ridiculously fun. And so then I started to think like, well, what else would I like to do? Like Jesse is cool. <laughs> like, I'd like to go off-roading with ATVs. And so sure enough, I sent an email out and again, people showed up. And then the guys from that do this jet skiing thing to Catalina Island emailed me like, Hey, you should come and do this. And like it blown up my social. So I realized like very quickly that anything I wanted to do or that I wasn't able to do because I was by myself, I could put together, make the arrangements, send out an email and people would show up. And so a really great example of this is like, I've always been like surprised when I go out and I see people camping and they'll have like five or six people with RVs together and they make a little like RV city where their RVs are crowded around and there's a fire pit in the middle and they like hang out. And I'm like, who has five friends that have RVs? Like I don't like my friends in LA, they don't have a pickup truck. Like there's nobody has an RV. So I was like, man, that looks so fun. So sure enough, I rented five RVs. And I said, hey, I rent these. They're 250 bucks a night, like blah, 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 blah. And we created a little RV city for the weekend. And that was it. Like once that started, it was every weekend I was sending emails out and I was just coming up with things. I, I decided to do a scavenger hunt at Vasquez Rocks, which is a big rock sort of park. And I just went out and set it up and sent an email and 40 families show up. And then it just started. Like what else would be cool, Joe? What else could we do would be fun? You know, it'd be fun. Let's off-road from LA to Las Vegas, all off-road. That'd be cool. Send an email, bang. I got 10 groups to go, you know, and that just started this process. And so in like helicopter skiing or like we did a midweek ski trip, which is amazing. Cause I was like, it's so busy on the weekend. I wonder if anybody else would want to like take a jet up to Mammoth and ski Tuesday and Wednesday. And sure enough, like, six guys go. I'm like, this is amazing. So at some point when I got to that point in, in my career where I was already getting kind of annoyed with having to work, 
you know, things had gone well for me. So I financially was in a place I could afford to just kind of like do stuff. I started realizing like, this is really what I want to do. So I made it as a, as this uh, reject average, which was kind of like the model, right. That I would been building in my performance series that I was teaching anyways of like, you have to work at not just being great at the office, right? Like you, you have to work at not being as an athlete, not just being great on the field. You're a professional at being great on the field. Right. And so I always had this thing, like we'd go out for the weekend to go on this fishing trip to catch bluefin tuna. And I rented the boat and I had all this stuff and I, I, I do whatever I had to do to produce a winning weekend. Right. Like I wanted guys to come back on Sunday or Monday and be like, if there was a prize for the best, most fun you could have on a weekend, like, would we be on the podium? Would we have got a medal? Like, yes. Right. And that was not average. And that was where reject average came from. Right. That became my sort of thing. And so I formed it as a, an, a, an official 501 C3. It's a, it's through my foundation and it's completely nonprofit. All of my adventures are totally nonprofit. Everybody says the same thing. Do this as a business. Do this as a business. Like, well, I had a business. Mm. Like, I don't want a business. Business is responsibility. I do this for one reason and one reason only. And that is joy. I am looking to find joy, to create joy, and to share joy. That is the only thing I focus on. And I try to do it daily. I try to do it monthly. I try to do it yearly. It's like, how many adventures can I do? And in 2019, you know, when we went truck diving... I did like 34 different major adventures and it was one of the greatest years of my life. And it cost me a pile of money because I ended up paying for a bunch of shit. Like nonprofit really just means like how much money can you try not to lose? Right. (laughs) Yeah. But I genuinely, I don't care. I just, I love having fun and it's the, it's the greatest thing. I mean, it's the greatest thing. So and that's what I do now. And like, just put these events together. I try to find really great people and, 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 and bring people together and just find ways to have a lot of fun. Yeah. It's really beautiful. And I love it. And you're definitely the man for it with your producing background and really just wanting to create these epic experiences. And it's really fascinating how so many people that, especially the people that you, you bring on these tri- trips, they have the financial resources to go and do any of these experiences themselves, but there's something special about yeah. just, having, just being able to show up, be like, put it out there, put it together. All yeah. I got to do is pay you. And then I'll just show up for the experience. And it's really beautiful. Yeah. Like this really sharing joy. It's this, it's definitely this healing experience. Cause I think in our society and culture, you know, I know you've fallen into it. I've fallen into it. It's like, achievement, success, continuing. It's this rat race that you're just, there's always more to have no matter how much money you're making, how much, how much success you have, there's always more. And I think a lot of people get so lost in that, that their life just runs right on by without actually enjoying and soaking up all of the the fun stuff as well. So talk a little bit about the, the, the power of being able to find this balance and really enjoying life and kind of the transition you've gone from, you know, finding yourself in that rat race, you know, trying to find more yeah. success and money and then now trying to really enjoy life more and, and bring balance into it. Well, and, and so I read a column for Forbes and I wrote about this. And it was basically that we plan for success, but we don't prepare for it, right? Like we, we train ourselves on how to get, successful, but we don't train or spend any moments what it'd be like to be successful. And so I have this entire high performance series that I teach. I work with the Clippers. I work with a lot of high performing CEOs and athletes on on a high intensity lifestyle, right? Which is basically what it boils down to. And the people talk about balance and it's like, I'm all about balance, but it's balance at the highest level, right? Like I want everything on. And, And I use this analogy, like think about when you were in the NFL like you didn't show up at practice and go half-assed, right? Mm. Championship teams practice almost as hard as they play. And there's a reason for that. It's not that you're trying to develop new skills on the practice field. You are developing the physiological elements of winning and performing. You are being in the intense moment more often, makes you more accustomed to it, makes you perform better when it really counts, right? But what you find is athletes who practice at the highest level and they play at the highest level, then go home and become very average. They're average husbands, they're average friends, they're average citizens. They just become average people. And that's not an intense part of their life. And they view that as downtime. And it's like, well, guess what? The, the less time you spend in intense moments, the, you're not as prepared when you need the intensity. And it's the same thing for people at work. 
most of the high-performing, mostly men, that I work with spend so much time perfecting their craft in the office environment that they are professionals in achieving and succeeding and feeling fulfillment in a work-based structure. They set up a target, they knock it down, they have accolades, they know that world, and they become very good at it. And that brings them joy, right? And I interviewed Warren Buffett for my book, and a lot of people ask, and I was like, you don't understand, he's actually quite, he's quite happy. He's a happy guy. And what was really interesting was, is that like, he's only happy doing one thing though, right? And that's work. And you would not want his life. You'd want his money to try mm-hmm. to apply it to your life, but that's not the way it works, right? And so what, what happens is we develop this system of only feeling achievement and success and value in a workplace. And then when we go on vacation or when we're around uh, after work, we're total amateurs. We've never learned how to feel and experience the same structure of joy of setting a target, knocking it down, of competing and winning and feeling like you fulfilled sort of something, some higher power in our recreational lives, right? Which is basically all the other time when you're not in the office. And so it's very difficult for people to get a grasp on that. And that's why people who retire just can't function because they get into that mode and they have no idea how to actually spend the capital, physical, mental, time, resources, cash on things that bring them joy because what has brought them joy traditionally in the past is success at work. And so what I teach and what I train is how to bring that high intensity living to the other elements of your life, how you are as a father, how you are as a husband, how you are as a friend, how you are in society is to try to bring that energy. And for me, a lot of times that culminates in trying to go out and fun, have fun adventures and winning the moment at all times. Right. But for in the real world, it's, it's being a professional and finding success in other things. And I I have this great exercise that I do with people. And, and it's like, imagine, you know, when I'm on stage, I'll do this with people and I'll tell them, Hey, you know, I have a thousand dollar prize here. And what we're going to do is you're going to walk seven steps across the stage. And whoever walks the seven steps, the best is going to take home this thousand dollars. So now there's hundreds of five thousands of people in the state, in the, in the audience. I can only take some of you and we don't have a lot of time. So I need you to start preparing what the seven steps are. There are, by the way, no criteria. You just, you get seven steps across the stage and we're all going to vote on who did it best. That's it. So I want, if you're going to come up here and try to win the thousand dollars, I want you to now be ready. You can't get up here and sort of like fumble, know what you're going to do. Okay. We're going to take about 30 seconds here. I want everybody to figure out what they're going to do now. Pretty funny watching, you know, seven foot basketball players, prep, you know, prepping, but you can see the audience. I can see the audience, their chest swells. They got smiles on their face, right? They're picturing this. We get ready at the 30 second. Okay. You know what? I'm kidding. There's no thousand dollar prize. Everybody groans. It's like, but I want you to notice what happened to you. When you thought there was a prize, when you thought there was some sort of inane competition about nothing and a prize, in it, you changed your entire physiological being, right? And I want you to try this at the next restaurant you go to or with the guys that would you say like the valet with the sports team. I'll be like, you're going to go pick your car from the valet. Imagine if I asked the valet guy after, I want you to tell me who was the best, who was the best valet customer today. I'm giving them a prize. What would you do to make that valet attendant pick you? How would you be? How would you look? What would you do? What would you say? What would you talk? You've got a five minute interaction. Go ahead. A waitress comes in. You're going out to lunch today or dinner. If I asked the waitress after their entire ship, who was your favorite customer? What would you do to make that you? Okay. Now I'm not in the mood to put on a show for a waitress at lunch here, but I'm going to do it because I know that it's training. It is training me. So whenever I need to be that guy, right. And I go into a restaurant and I'm smiles and happy and I'm engaging and I'm talking and they're like, that waitress is going to remember me. I'm going to be in the top three, you know, um, or you have to go shopping with your wife on the weekend. Nobody wants to go do that. Imagine if there was a prize at the end. Greatest husband shopping partner today on Saturday. You had the three hours in the mall with your wife. How, what would you do? What would you say? How would you act? It's not about faking it, right? People will say that. They're like, I want you faking like you're enjoying it. It's like, no, I am 
I am performing. I am, I am winning. What would I do? I am competing, right? I am competing for success. And what it does is it trains you to be in that moment. You learn how to take joy and success in anything you do at any moment. You can be great at something, anything. And the more you do that, the more your physiological presence starts to understand that, the more you respect that, the easier it is to do, the more you find yourself in that mode. Mm. And so for guys who perform at a high level, for people who have made, you know, vast amounts of wealth, does money buy you happiness? Yes. If you actually know how to spend it on happy, generating things. Mm. And that's where people fall short is they really don't know how to spend it. They don't know where to go. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to find joy in things that aren't the office. And what you find is the more you balance your intense desire to win across other things, you will find that balance where you're happy. And that's where I've been working. I, you know, as a professional TV producer, I am a semi-professional fun haver. And in the next couple of years, I will be a professional. I will have, I will be as good at having fun and experiencing joy and recreational times as I ever was as a TV producer. And that is my goal. Mm. And you know, from being around me, like I'm in that mode. I do pretty well at that. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you have such an amazing energy and the way you embody that presence and that energy and everything that you do, you're just fun to be around. And I think that's what people are missing really is, is that presence in the experience of life. And I think a lot of people are expecting the external world to bring them happiness. But what you're saying is really, how can you be that, embody that in every single moment and show up as your best self? And when you embody that energy and it radiates out of you, all these amazing things start happening. You start finding and connecting yes. with more people. You start having more fun in each experiences. You're not in this negative complaining mindset about life, but you're showing up and creating it internally. And then your external environment really starts reflecting that back to you. And it's really fascinating. Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll give you a good example. It was kind of a life-changing weird moment, right? It was at one of my best friends. He had rented a Lamborghini for, to pick up his kid at his school on graduation day, right? They were going to drive the, the Lamborghini around. They were at my house later. He was going to be returning the Lamborghini later that day. I forgot that I had a meeting in town um, 20 minutes away. And I was like, oh my God, I just got to run in, do this meeting. I'll run right back. By the way, let me take the Lamborghini. Okay, he says, fine. So I hop in this Lamborghini. I drive, I'm going to drive into the meeting. Okay, this car is a piece of crap. I mean, it is an absolute piece of crap. It's small, it's compact, it's bumpy. It's like, it's fast, but it's not that fast. I mean, my car was fast too. So it's like, I was like, I can't believe people pay the kind of money for this piece of crap. Like, and I'm inside, but I can't even see how cool it looks. What the <laughs> hell is this piece of junk, right? And I'm whining and I call him, I can't believe this piece of junk. And I have that conversation with him. We're giggling. And I'm like annoyed with it because it's so stupid. And I keep I, my entire 20 minute ride, right? I, I get to do the meeting. I come back. I remember the valet guy was like, oh my God. Like, yeah, it's a piece of junk, right? So I'm driving back. And for some reason, I start thinking like, what the hell's wrong with me? I just spent half an hour or 20 minutes in this car bitching about it. And it's like, I'm driving in Los Angeles on the 405, heading home to my gigantic house in a Lamborghini that I don't even have to pay for, that I have friends that let me drive. I'm like, what's wrong with me? And like, cause I was so annoyed, you know, that I was like, it was ruining my mood. And I just, I said like, you know what? That is not happening anymore. And I just, from that moment, I was like, I gripped the wheel a little different. And I was just like, I'm going to at least try to get, I was like, I can't believe I'm driving a Lamborghini. I don't even have to pay for it. My friend, I like, I, like, I grew up dreaming of someday. Like I, I just, and I was thinking like, I could buy this car right now and it wouldn't even affect my life. Like, I love this thing. This is amazing. Right. And I, and I focused on doing that for the next 20 minutes of the drive. till I pulled in my buddy, Jeff comes out and he's like, Hey man, I was, and I was like, and he said something like, Oh, I, too bad you had to suffer through it. I was like, you know what? This car, it was amazing. Thanks for letting me borrow it. Like, it's cool. It's like, I wouldn't buy it myself. I didn't like this part of it, but you know what? It's still awesome. And after the car, we back in, my mood was so different for hours later. And I realized it's like, oh, right. Like there's a difference in the world between finding the good and focusing on it and finding the bad and focusing on it. And 
it isn't, again, people get a little bit swept up in this when I train and I, and I have audiences and I walk them through this and organizations like it's not pretending that you like a lamp. Like it wasn't me pretending that I like it. It was, I was training, right? When you're training basketball and practice, those shots don't count for anything. They're not real. They're not real shots, but you're training. And I was training myself to see the positive. I was training myself to be in the mode at the snap of a fingers. I can be in that mood. I can be a guy who has the energy. I can actually genuinely feel appreciation and success because I train to do it more often than I ever have. I train to do it more than other people do. And I think that has been maybe the number one thing that has helped me be the way I have been for the last few years is I train to be happy. I train to feel joy. I train to find success in little moments so I can feel them in any moment, Mm. you know? And Mm. it's like, even when I fall off and I'm angry and frustrated and I can't find my keys and it's hot out and I, you know what I mean? Like that's going to happen, but it's way, way less than normal. And I don't have a lot of downtime anymore where it's like, if I'm going to have downtime, people ask me that all the time, Joe, don't you have downtime? Like, don't you just relax? It's like, yeah, when I do, I do it at a very high level. I kick ass at being lazy. I am amazing at having a nap. I am unbelievable at just taking a day off and doing nothing. When I do that, dude, I would win a medal for taking a few hours off Mm. for sure. Right. Because I, and I enjoy it. Dude, if I'm going to have a nap in the afternoon, which, oh God, I love a nap. I really genuinely enjoy it. Like I, I set up for it. I think about it. I'm happy. I'm like, I, I look for the right spot. I like set a timer. Like I do it right. Mm. And if there was a prize for the best nap this afternoon, like you'd have a hard time beating me. Yeah. Cause this is the way I think of life now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think it really and comes down all back it's down more to natural. Yeah. It all comes back down to being present, right? Like being where your feet are. So like, yes. if you're going to take a nap, you're going to go crush that nap and be there. You're not going to be thinking about, right. you know, should I be taking a nap? There's something I should be doing, but as, as the more present right. you can be with life, then you're not going to be trying to be somewhere else. And I think, you know, the, the whole idea of faking it. And I think, uh, you know, it's all about shifting that perspective and a tool that I use and what yeah. you're really talking about is to really not fake it, but really embody it is, is the emotion of gratitude. Because like you said, you're yes. in that car and you're making complaints like this thing sucks. And you're like, wait, I'm, I'm, this is an amazing experience. And you shift into gratitude. And that is really how you shift that internal state of being is by actually being grateful yes. for the experience that you're having, not wanting it to be something else or feeling that lack for, for wanting to be somewhere else or achieving something yeah. or not being somewhere. So that's really beautiful. But the most important thing that you're saying, and this is what I, I have to do, is there's so much out there in the world today that talks about gratitude and talks about these moments and all these things. Right. And they tell you, you should just snap your fingers and feel like that. Right. That is not going to happen. That's not how it works because you are a, right now you're an amateur at that. You cannot just all of a sudden magically be grateful all the time. You can't mad. Like, it's not the way it works. We've mm. been training ourselves the total opposite. The most important element of that is to do it in small pieces mm-hmm. in situations you can control so that you physiologically start to adjust the a feeling to that so that you practice the feeling so that you can bring that feeling when you want on demand and it becomes more natural. You cannot win the lottery, become rich, and then just enjoy money all the time. It doesn't work like that. You can't just make a ton of money at the office, bust your ass for 30 years, and then just retire and be happy, happy. That just doesn't work because you don't have the you never trained the skills to do that. That's not what you're good at. And so you need to take small steps and practice those moments. And I used to do that in my car every morning. I'd be like, I can't believe I get to drive it. Like I would just do those. And I was like, if I could do that for 20 seconds in the morning and 20 seconds at night, could I do 30 seconds? Could I do three minutes? Could I do an hour, you know what I mean? Like, and I would do that at the house when I, I'd have to go back to feed my horses or whatever. Right. And the property was long. So it'd take me a while to walk there. And I, and I started getting in the habit of like, instead of just ignoring that I have three acres of lawn, like, which I normally do, like, I wouldn't even think about it. I started to walk. And every time I'd go, I'd, I'd look around and force myself to be like, 
oh my God, I can't believe I live here. I can't believe this is my yard. Like, this is amazing. I would force myself to say these things. And it's like, could I feel more appreciative for 10 or 20 seconds? Yes. Could I keep that all day long? No, because I had no practice of doing that. So I started doing it 10 seconds and I forced myself to do it. Every time I'd walk back out to see the horses, I can't believe this. I can't believe I own horses. Like I, you do those little things. You know what I mean? Like, I can't believe this is like all of the things you little pieces. And guess what? That becomes more natural and becomes longer. And one minute turns into five minutes and five minutes turns into 50 minutes and 50 minutes turns into an afternoon. And like you get to the point where you find yourself more rarely being non-gratitudal than you are gratitude. Like I spend more day yeah. part of my day feeling good than I do feeling crappy. Yeah. Whereas most people f- feel average most days and have a few moments of, of good. If you start changing that, you will be better. Yeah. You know? That's why it's, it's an internal journey. It's changing that story from within yourself so that you can start showing up in the small yeah. things and the big things. And you start literally right. embodying a state of gratitude all the time. And what I like to use is to remind myself, I always say, what a time to be alive when it, when it, when it pops into my head, right. like I can click my phone and order something and it's delivered to my house the next day, literally like what a time to be alive. Or I can FaceTime right. I know. my mom that's three States away and talk to her and, you know, have a conversation with her instantly, but wow, what a time to be alive. And the way I do that is the more I remind myself, the more you can start just really embodying that and being in a perpetual state of gratitude and yeah. really everything, your, your yeah. external circumstances really stop affecting you in such a, a heightened way. Let's talk yeah. about the road. How has the road impacted your life? And what are some of the lessons that you've learned? Because I know it's very you know, dear to me because it's changed my life and transformed my life in yeah. so many ways. And I think there's not a lot of people. It takes a lot of almost the stepping into the unknown. And I think a lot of people, you know, especially when I was traveling, it was like, oh, I wish I could do that, but, right? And they have these excuses of why they yeah. can't. And it's usually not the resources. It's the fear of what it looks like going into the unknown and never having done it. So talk about your own journey through that and what the road has taught you, uh, yeah. this experience. You know, it was very difficult because COVID was rough on my family. We were locked down in Los Angeles for over a year. The kids didn't go to school. They had no new friends, no meeting people. That was just rough watching them. And so I, I knew I was going to do something over this sort of summer. And, and, and this sort of came up the idea the kids kind of came up with the idea that they see all 48 States and, it's like we take six months and do that. And, and I, had, I was almost panicky sometimes about like, oh my God, am I really going to just leave everything behind for six months? Like this doesn't even make any sense. What's going to happen? And like, very difficult. But I had been, I'd been using that the model that I'd sort of been teaching is like, I kind of say yes to everything, right? Like that's been my sort of thing. Like if you, if you call me next week and be like, hey, I need help moving. I'd be like, yeah, let's do it. You know, like I make an experience, everything. I say yes to everything. I, I look for that. So I was trying to convince myself that it was going to be okay, that this is the embodiment of what I speak about. I shouldn't be hesitant. It was very difficult. But to say it's a life-changing experience is very cliche, but it's very true. Like we've seen so much of the country and so many people, so much that I didn't know being in the LA bubble and being in this sort of like the world that you get into whatever bubble you live in, you don't realize what's going on in the rest of the world. And like spend so much time on social media and I spent so much time watching the news and cable news that you get an idea of what the world's like out there. And then when you get out of the world, you realize it's nothing like that. People are so good. They are so genuine. They are just trying to find ways to, to, to get through the day and help their family and find fun. And like, it's just amazing how genuine people are. And you, you get out there and you think you're going to find people yelling and screaming and being angry with each other and on the opposite ends of the political scale and the race wars are going to be out there. And like you get into the real world and you realize like, wait, like it's so hard to find people out there that are mean and nasty and having a hard time and saying like, it's just hard because there's 300 million people out there and 25 people on Twitter make it sound like the world is collapsing. Right. And so I, as I've seen all these different states, we're in state number 36 now or 37. And you realize like in every state, there's zip lines and RV parks and kayak rentals. And like the things that people do, the values that we have as human beings to be with family and to enjoy life and to go grab a beer and like all these things are so universal that what bonds us together as a society is so much more than what keeps us separate. 
And the things we share in common are so prevalent in, in real life when you meet people, when you see people, that the things that are, we are different about have such little impact. It's hard to get a grasp on that until you see it in real life. And so it's made me realize that I, I can do, A, I can do with less stuff. You know, like, you know, I had a barn at my house, which was full of stuff. I have an Amazon shopping addiction. So, you know, I, I have a life full of toys and stuff, which I basically got rid of all of them to come on the road. You don't need it. I live in 550 square feet, which is a big trailer. You know, my master bathroom and closet was bigger than that. And we've been here for six months and I have no need to get out and do anything else. You realize that what you, what you crave more than anything as, as a human being in our society is experience and connection. And you build a life and you buy things in the, in the pattern of that will help you find more joy and make more connections. That's what we think. So that's what we, we buy and we accumulate. And you realize like, all I really want is joy and connections. I just want to connect with people. I just want to share experiences. I just want to find joy. And so, you know, that I don't have some of the stuff I had before and I'm in this trailer means nothing. It's like, I don't even notice it because my focus is on what feeds me, which is joy, experience, and connections with people. Yeah. It almost makes you feel lighter even. It almost frees up space for more of the stuff that you actually yeah. do desire. That was one of my models I adopted yeah. when I was on the road is live with less so you can experience more. And as you start yeah. detaching yourself from all of this stuff that you accumulate in your life. And it's fascinating how fast, like, you know, I kind of got grounded to have a oh. house now and how fast stuff starts filling up your space. And it doesn't just fill up your physical space. It fills up your internal space, your emotional space, your mental yeah. space. And it, it weighs you down and to get out on the road and feel that freedom and that exploration and the, the presence that it provides because you're constantly going into a new experience is yeah. all so beautiful. And I love what you said about, you know, when you're out in the world, like all of the stuff and the stories and the ideologies and the belief systems and the division, they don't really come into a interaction with somebody. And it's fascinating to look at that and understand like the only thing that's really different between all of us is these ideas of why we think we're different and these ideologies. Right. And if we can break through those, and that's why, you know, big intention behind this podcast is for get people to get curious around their stories. Where do they come from? Why do you believe what you believe? Where are you consuming your content? Is that narrative, you know, true or does it serve you? And I think people get so attached and then they get almost in this fear bubble where they like want to stay and they don't actually want to get out of the world because the world's such a scary place, right? Even traveling in different countries and stuff. When, once you start doing that, you like realize, oh, there's di different people living different ways, different cultures, different ways of thinking. Yeah. And it opens your mind and widens your perspective. And I think that's a huge piece that's missing, especially in this country. Yeah. I'll give you an example. Like when we've been on the road, we've been doing this thing called Dinner with America, which is basically I just invite people to dinner. I meet them. I just invite them. And... You know, we had a guy come out to fix my backup camera and a young kid in his early 20s came out, got the backup camera fixed. And we were going to medieval times in Orlando with the kids to, you know, the jousting and the big dinner and stuff. And he got finished the backup camera so fast. I was like, hey, you know, why don't you come to medieval times with us and have dinner? Like, you'll love that. And he was so baffled. He, he couldn't even believe, he couldn't believe that I was like serious. And I was like, I am, I am a hundred percent serious, dude. Like, Let's just do this. And so he came. And it turns out he's a, he's a nuclear engineer in college, paying for his own college by running around fixing people's stereos and things. And we had the greatest time. And like we connected on a way we never would have before. And like we're in San Antonio. And the guy who's running the RV park was a former San Antonio police officer that just retired and was looking for something to do. So he decided to run an RV park. We invited him out to dinner. He took us out to dinner. We heard all his stories. And we became friends. Like that happens all the time, every day, all the time. Like if you want it to, people are amazing. And we just, we just realize that you can connect with people. It, the veneer of like, stay away from them is, is so thin. And my daughter makes this great, hilarious thing. That's like in Los Angeles, the most courteous kind thing you can do to somebody that you see on the street is to completely ignore them. Right. <laughs> Like that's people in love. That's what they want. They, if you, if you appreciate them and you want to do something for them, just pretend they don't exist. That's what they're hoping for. Right. And so in the rest of the country, it's not like that. You're in the South, like people, it's just, it's been a great experience for me.
great experience. Yeah. That's what the, the road teaches you to be more open to those experiences. And I yeah. found even when I, you know, moved to Austin and it's how quickly I get in my routine and running my errands and always having something to do. So I'm not open to actually those, those interactions that can kind of spontaneously take place. But when you're on the road with no real plan in place and you're just meeting people and you're so open to it, it creates such deep connection yes. and it really can change your life. Yep. And it absolutely it's, it's so easy. I mean, it's just, it's been great. It's been great to realize a lot about what I am doing, what I want to do in the future. And listen, it, here's the truth. Because people ask about the time, like being in a financial position to go do this is very important. Like I, I don't, I don't recommend that people like give up their jobs and go live as a whitewater rafting guide in the summer and a ski bum in the winter. Like there's a lot of people that do that, but like, it's about finding the balance, like working long enough and accumulating to the point where you can now use that, what you've done to go make yourself happy and do this. Right. And what most mm -hmm. people do is they blow past the goalposts. Yeah. Right. I have a lot of very wealthy friends who like, they'll never be able to spend the money that they have because not only do they not have time to spend it, they don't even know what to spend it on. Mm. And yeah, so, it's not a be create, becoming the creator of your reality and clear on what do you want to create yeah. in your life? And if it's happiness, what does that look like? And being able to use the resources that you're yes. working for to go out and do that. And that's why I go back to practicing, right? Like you got to practice the ability to feel joy and to go and experience stuff and to have vacations and go take time off. You got you to practice being able to have that be your thing so that when you finally get to a point in life where you're like, hey, I could live this lifestyle for the rest of my life. Is it good enough? And a lot of times people never get to that point. They still want more. Mm. And I've been trying to get myself, like if I never make another penny, if this is as good as it gets, is this enough? And it's like, yes, it is. It is enough. Mm. You know, it is good enough. I've I made enough. I like, I don't need my lifestyle to get bigger. And a good example, the only people who have private jets are people who are not happy with the private jet they own. <laughs> they want one bigger because uh -huh. if you can be satisfied with the things you have, you will not get a private jet because the, you, to be able to get to that level of wealth, you need to be insatiable desire for more. Mm. And if you're not that person, then you, that's not going to work. Right. I won't have a jet because I just don't care enough about it. And if you're complacent and you're content with what you have, that's what you're going to end up having. You just got to get to the point where that is going to be enough. Yeah. And not, and not attaching, like, there's nothing wrong with wanting more, but not attaching your value and worth to needing that more and have, being content with what you That's have correct. and playing the game to the fullest to go accumulate more without needing to have it. And it's just that subtle internal shift. Right. Um, are you sharing this journey on social media where if people are like, you know, interested yeah. in connecting with you while you're on the road, you're doing all these amazing experiences, where can they find you? You can find me at Brant Pinvidic, um, at any of the social platforms. Uh, rejectaverage.com has a blog that's not super update, but it's getting closer. And on my daily Instagram stories is basically where I share every day and I put stuff on Instagram. You know, I love social media, but at the end of the day, it's like, I don't have anything to sell anymore. I just want to, I, I like, that's why I like Instagram stories. It's, it's for the people who really get joy in, in following us along. I'm not trying to impress anybody. If you, if you want to watch, it's great. I answer questions. I help people. Like I just, I'm just in a great place. I'm in a great mode. And so love to share more with anybody who wants. Mm, yeah, definitely a great follow. All that will be in the show notes. Check it out. Follow the rest of his journey. He's almost, almost finishing up. Looks like he's about to get gas. Any final words of wisdom for the audience before we let you go? I mean, at the end of the day, life, happiness, joy is the same as any skill. It, we, I just don't know why we never learned this. Mm. It's the same as any skill. You have to practice it. You you want to make a three pointer. You can't just like just start doing it, right? You won't do it consistently. You have to learn the mechanics. You have to learn the basics. You have to learn the understanding, and you have to practice. So whatever you want in life, that's the way it works. So that's that's the one thing that people I, I want people to understand is that you can practice these small moments of joy. You can practice this and become very good at it. And I'm still, I'm not a professional at it yet. I still need a lot of work, but I'm getting pretty good. Yeah. The journey continues. And that's what it's all about. Falling in love with the process. Yeah, buddy. Brand, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate you taking time, sharing all the wisdom and let's definitely connect again soon. Anything for you, my brother. All right, man. Later. <laughs>
right. Thanks everybody for listening. Thank you, Brant, for calling in from the road. Uh, I'm going to get him to send me a picture of this big rig that he's driving around in. It's really ridiculous. Uh, All that information to find him and his journey is in the show notes. Check it out. Reach out to him. Uh, He's an amazing follow. He provides so much value. Uh, And he's just such an amazing dude. I'm really uh, grateful that he came on and shared some of himself with us. If you enjoy this podcast, uh, please, and you think it might resonate with somebody you know, share it with them. Share it with everybody. Share it on your socials. It really does... uh, goes a long way in helping uh, grow the audience and support the podcast. Also, reviews. Reviews is like the only way that the algorithms see these podcasts are popular or they're resonating or they're adding value to people's lives. And so if this podcast has impacted you or you really enjoy listening, please just go say a few nice words about it. Leave a five-star review um, wherever you listen to podcasts. That really, really helps uh, on my end. And really appreciate you guys. I love y'all. I hope you guys have an amazing day, week, life, everything. And uh, I'd love to hear from you. Reach out to me on Instagram or uh, all my other social platforms, all in the show notes. Love y'all. Peace.